Thank you, Cheryl, and good morning, everyone. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 19, and in just a few moments, we will be at verse 28. So Luke, chapter 19, verse 28. The passage that Cheryl read is a, definitely a great theme text for what I want to talk to you about this morning, but I'm going to take you through three events that occurred just before the cross of, of Christ. We're going to go through, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the, the entrance into Jerusalem on Palm as we celebrate Palm Sunday. We're going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're also going to go to the point where Peter was following Christ, and he had his third denial. Now, what I want to show you today is that there are, there is a pattern that, that happens in our life that is inevitable. The things that I'm going to talk about are things that we all go through, and, and I'm really not even focused on the big picture level. I'm talking about so micro. Um, you know what micro means, like macroeconomics means big picture, and micro means like day-to-day, simple, smaller picture stuff. The kind of stuff that you go through every day. This, this, this pattern, these things you're going to see in Scripture These things happen to us all the time. And so the question, though, we're going to have to ask ourselves is whether or not these things invite us to the cross or keep us away from it. So we're going to get to look at that cross that that has been here for um, 300 years, okay? That's not true. The church isn't 300 years old. I don't know how many years it's been, so I just had to come up with a number. But by the way, we're going to be celebrating our centennial in just a few years. And so we're, we're going to have a centennial celebration in about five or, or seven more years. No, it's five more years, I believe. Um, but, but Pam, are you guys still maybe working on possibly having a homecoming service coming up as soon in September? So um, maybe we'll find that information out for you by then. But but we're going to get to gaze upon the cross again. And as you gaze upon the cross, I want to remind you this symbol that we have in our Christian faith today, it's just so ironic. Sometimes you have to sit back and appreciate the irony. See, this symbol of crucifixion was created for display as well. When the Romans crucified people, they wanted people to be on display. They wanted others to show the suffering they had gone through as they had been in opposition to the state. And even when crucifixion began, it wasn't even something for Roman citizens. It was something they would only send slaves through. But as, as time evolved, and even about the time of Christ, they would, it would be reserved for the most severe of penalties if you were a citizen. And this symbol that many would come and watch, and you know, there's just this sick darkness that that was what people had to do sometimes in those days. People would come and watch executions. They'd bring their kids along and, come here, guys, this is going to be great. Somebody's going to be crucified today. That was part of their lifestyle, and they would come to watch this. But Jesus did something new with this symbol. And so when you gaze upon the cross today, we're going to talk about what took place just before the cross. And then on sunrise uh, service next week, 
the message is going to be entitled Just After the Cross. So today we're going to talk about just before. But as you gaze upon the cross today, I want you to be reminded how this is such a dark and beautiful thing at the same time. What happened was brutal, was dark, but it was for you and it was for me. And this how this symbol still brings us healing today. So I want to read again the scripture that Cheryl put up there for that Cheryl read to you. Today, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Don't ever forget these next three words, scorning its shame. The shame that anyone on this earth would be considered unworthy, to be cons- to, to, that would be considered shameful itself. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's pray. Lord, today we are going to open up your word and consider the events that transpired just before the cross. But Lord, the cross still stands and is display in churches all across America because it is a symbol and all across America and all across the world because it is a symbol that means so much to so many. But oftentimes it's just nothing more than a relic. Today, Lord, my prayer is that people would have all across this room, we would have a new reverence for the cross of Jesus Christ. And we would sense the cross of Jesus Christ inviting us, even when we have landmarks in our life and patterns, the things that could pull us away, you actually gave them to us to be invitations to remind us that we need a Savior. Today, as we consider the darkness in our life, we will also consider the new life and the light that you have provided for us. So now may our hearts be open to hear what your spirit is saying to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. This is the Palm Sunday version in the book of Luke. And it is a little different than the Matthew. It is a little different than Mark. It is, it is a bit of a different version than the other two. And I'll explain that in just a minute. But I want to read that to you. First, Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage in Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them. Now, Mount of Olives is interesting because you also see that referred to instead of Gethsemane in just a minute. Um, Luke doesn't use the word Gethsemane. He refers to Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is, it can, be, can be used to describe this big, long mountain range to the east of Jerusalem um, that, that gets referred to throughout Scripture as the place, a high place in Jerusalem that many would see. Many think this is where, where the return of Christ will come, and there's so many prophecies. I just don't want you to get confused. But when he's, So he's approaching the hill called Mount of Olives, so he's kind of coming down and getting ready to enter Jerusalem. And he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. 
untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Sometimes I kind of want to use my, you know, my pastoral license and go downstairs and grab a donut and say, what are you doing with that donut? The Lord needs it. So this is the authority that, 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 that what is being said in this time. That the, the reason Luke includes that is because there is reference to, no, this is the Lord. This is the one. And in, when just this little line is a, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, verse 32. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, I just want to point out a couple things that were different in this Luke passage from the other stories. First of all, you, we, sang, we sang Hosanna. The video we showed before had the word Hosanna in it. Did you uh, point to the verse where it says Hosanna in Luke 19? It's not in there. Luke doesn't use that word. Well, that had a bit of a had a bit of a Jewish theme. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, was all about Jesus fulfilling the messianic expectation. Matthew is pointing to Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. I gave you a summary verse for Luke last week. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Luke's gospel was really for everyone. So this Hosanna, save us, this this idea of a Jewish, Jewish Messiah coming to save us may not have really resonated as quickly with everyone, with all the Gentiles. Luke is presenting a gospel for everyone. But there was a word that everyone would have understood. It's the word that Luke brings home not only here, but it's also the word that he brings home in the, in the, in the um, nativity story. And that is the word king. King. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, we don't even get that word today. We have a president, and there's prime ministers, and there's still only really few still third world countries still have kings. And even if, you have, if you're first world, you have a king, and it's just kind of a, you know, a, a show thing that you've continued from generation to generation. But they, everyone at this time understood the term king, a king that is coming to save us. And the, another piece that is unique only in Luke was when he says the rocks, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, what I, I love about this story, and I, you know, I, I don't have too many Palm Sunday messages. I've really shared, I share a lot of the same things every time we come together on Palm Sunday, and I point out a lot of the same things. But I always like to tell this story from, from the point of view of the angels, okay? I know you don't have anything in Scripture from the point of view of the angels a little bit, but what's going on 
in this passage is, is you almost like have to uh, sit back like you're watching it on TV or something. Like the angels hear what the people are saying as Jesus is entering Jerusalem. They're calling him the coming king. He's riding on a donkey. There's people there witnessing. And in Matthew version, it says they're saying, Hosanna, save us. All of this was prophesied. So the angels can be witness to this. Like, this is what was prophesied. This was supposed to happen. But they know in the back of their mind, in the back of their minds, if they have minds, I've never understood the whole brain and everything of an angel. But that these people have no idea what they're saying. They're welcoming a king that they think is going to come and overtake the government and give them everything they've ever wanted, give them the peace that they've ever wanted. They have no idea what Jesus is really coming to Jerusalem to do. Do you ever wonder, sometimes, you know, if, if they did know what he was coming to Jerusalem to do, they knew he was coming to the cross to be crucified, this might not be a moment of celebration, would it? This might be a little bit more of a reverent moment, a bit of a dark moment as Jesus enters Jerusalem. But that's not the way the Lord would have it. It was prophesied a king would come into Jerusalem, and he doesn't come in the front gate. He comes in the back door on a donkey, a lot like uh, king uh, Solomon did before he was crowned king. Uh, there was another king that was, was supposed to be crowned, but, but Solomon was anointed. And he comes in the back gate of Jerusalem, more in an era of humility. Jesus comes in the back door, and the poorest are the ones there. Those that have heard of his ministry and heard what he has done, they're the ones there to greet him, not the upper class and not those that would, the, the Pharisees and even the Sadducees that would all be expecting them. But there are a few that have been following the crowd, and they're saying, tell your disciples to stop. And Jesus says, even if I did, the rocks would cry out. It's probably best that everybody there didn't know what was getting ready to happen. Isn't it sometimes? Sometimes we want to know everything about our future. And Lord, where are you taking me? What is next? But the truth of it is, church, sometimes it's best to know, to not know everything in the future. What if there's challenges, great challenges that you would just lose your mind in knowing that, 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 that that's ahead for you? There's tragedy. You know, we know that the cycle of life, we're going to lose people in the future. All of these things, we, there's things in the future that, that, that if we knew the Lord would reveal to us, it would scare us to death. So rather embrace this moment. How does the old Garth Brooks song go, guys? I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end. You want to sing it for me? The way it all would go. Our lives are better left to chance. I was waiting for the lighters to come up at that point. We could have missed the pain, but then I'd have had to miss the dance. So this is a moment as Jesus is entering Jerusalem where there is this massive assumption that is taking place. And assumption is the first thing. It's, it's not even that dangerous of a thing. It's something that we all do. We all make false assumptions. Everybody's making this assumption that Jesus is coming to take over. 
But we make false assumptions all the time. And what does it say? It's funny. It's Jesus came into, into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey, and I'm pretty sure they have this analogy. The word, uh, what happens when we assume we make a donkey out of you and me. Isn't that correct? See, that just went over somebody's head. But that's what happens when we make false assumptions. And I say false assumptions because we can't live life without assumption. You're not, you didn't this morning, you didn't do a full 25 to uh, two and a half hour inspection on your vehicle before you got in it. You just assumed that it was going to run the same way it did last time and everything was going to be okay. But we make false assumptions all the time. And some of them are some of them are so close to what we assume God wants for us that they can get really confusing. Just let me give you some examples. We make assumptions that God ultimately just wants us to be happy. We make assumptions that God always wants us to be healthy. That God always wants us to be safe. That God always wants us to pay our bills. That that, that have the money to pay our bills, that God wants us to go on vacation and he wants us to spend a lot of money on our vacations, that God wants us to do this home renovation, that it's okay if I don't, you know, get in Scripture for a while. I assume God will still love me if I don't pray that often. I assume that God will still love me if I'm not obedient to him. I assume that if I don't serve and if I don't give, he will still be there. We assume that when the pastor talks about witnessing your faith, he's not really talking to me or Serving in leadership, we assume he's not really talking to us. Giving a tithe, that's not really for me. We assume oftentimes that someone else is up to something. We assume that people are talking about us and they must be thinking the worst of us when they're really not. We assume that God's will has a lot to do with what we want. We assume that things will get easier. We assume that our kids' faith will follow in our footsteps. We assume that church would be just as popular today as it was 30 years ago. And we assume that the way that worked for me is the same way that is going to work for everyone else. These are just false assumptions. Very easy to do. And these things aren't that harmful, but it's the first slippery slope. See, even Scripture, in this case, God used a false assumption for His glory. But even Scripture, in this massive assumption, it was biblical. This false assumption on Palm Sunday that we celebrate at Palm Sunday was necessary for the will of God to be fulfilled. What I want you to understand is this is the first piece of this pattern, is this is something that you won't ever be able to completely avoid. You're going to leave here today, and this week you're going to make some false assumptions. So there's this already but not yet. You're going to continue to make false assumptions until Jesus returns. But the already, what the Lord has done for you is he's given you something, given you something that's right here in the scripture. He said, in the next verse, he says, pray, not that my will, but yours be done. Here's, that's the prayer that Jesus prays in our next text, Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. The next event that happened just before the cross. Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. Again, we found ourselves in the Mount of Olives. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. 
He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Luke focuses in this passage on this idea of Jesus praying for the will of God to occur. And while he is praying for the will of God, he's wrestling for, for the, with, the, with the will of God, his disciples have grown weary. Jesus gave them a specific command that we see. He, he tells them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. They disobey this command. Did they disobey this command because they were intentionally disobeying it? I think you see in this text what happens to what happened to the disciples happens to all of us. They didn't mean to be in disobedience, but they just got tired. They grew weary. Now Luke takes it a step further and he says that this weariness came from sorrow. You don't see that in, in the other gospels, but that they're sorrowful about what is happening. And, and that is a cause of their weariness. But the second step in this pattern, we, we start to make false assumptions and we grow weary. In weariness, we make very poor and uncalculated decisions. I think I've told this story before. I just always remember this when I was a kid. I used to have one of those clocks that, like, one of them, you turn the alarm off. It would, you flip it this way and it would turn it on and turn it off. The other one, you do the same exact button right on top of it. The other one, that was how you set your clock. So I would clip that the wrong way, and all of a sudden my hours and minutes would start running. Then I'd try to switch it back the other way. Now the minutes are running, and I tried to have to find that spot in the middle. So I don't know about you, but my brain can't handle that at 5 o'clock in the morning when, or whenever my first buzzer goes off. But my brain's not working right, and I'm weary. And so what I do, I get this idea, oh, well, I guess I can just pick whatever time I want. I'm just going to make it 4 o'clock, and i got another hour's worth of sleep. That's what goes on in, a, in your head when you're not all the way there. When we start to become weary, we don't mean to, but we make poor, uncalculated decisions. Another word for uncalculated is impulsive. We just simply grow weary and start doing things that we shouldn't. When I grow weary, I don't want to eat good. I don't want to stay on a diet. I had Papa John's pizza last night. I told myself I was on a diet. I have not found any, any diet plan that has Papa John's pizza included in it. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to go out of my way to help someone. I'm, I'm just tired. I just don't feel like it. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I feel like resting. I feel like doing what I want. And so this is just the micro stuff. But for others, there's a perpetual weariness that can set in. A weariness that comes from the same, doing the same job over and over again and having the same conflicts and having the same challenges 
And the same stress, when you think you're through with this kind of stress, it's still there. And no matter where you go, this stuff always seems to find you. And there's a perpetual weariness that sets in when we do the same things over and over and over again. So I can give you a resolve, a biblical resolve to this weariness, but you're not going to like it. Because it's another already and not yet kind of thing. Jesus has given you something. It's right here in this text. But the reality is we're all going to grow weary. You're human. You're going to fall short. You're going to get tired sometimes. And you're going to make mistakes just simply because you've grown weary of a pattern. You've grown weary just because your body's physically tired or you've, you've been living in a pattern for so long that you're, you're starting to make mistakes and not realize how weary you are. But the resolve that you're not going to like that Jesus gives is he says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Again, just like the last one, you know, assumption is to be praying for the will of God. A resolve for weariness is to pray that we won't fall into temptation to lift up our eyes is what he was getting, his, trying to get his disciples to realize and have a sense of urgency and recognize the day that you live in, that every moment counts and have a greater awareness. And throughout Luke's gospel, it often talks about watchfulness. All over his gospel, we hear about watchfulness. <laughs> Someone was telling me the other day, that they were driving home, and you can confess to this who this was because it's somebody in this church, but I'm not going to say their name. They were driving home and almost ran off the road because they grew weary. Now, and so they just, what they had to do the next time was just roll all the windows down, it didn't matter how cold it was, and just get back and stay focused. Now, so one, one thing happens, we grow weary because we're in a controlled environment, and we got the music playing, we got the heat on, and we start to fall asleep. But when we roll those windows down, we're reminded just how fast it is we're going. That if we don't pay attention to what we're doing, we could die. That's the kind of urgency that Jesus is trying to call his disciples to in the Garden of Gethsemane. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Something is happening, going to happen tonight. Be alert. The resolve that he gives is that we will not fall into temptation. I want to give you the last one. Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. This picks up as Jesus is now seized. The final event we're going to talk about just before the cross. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the fire, in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just he was speaking, the rooster crowed. It was Jesus prophesied that, Peter, that you will deny me. You, you, before the day is over, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And verse 61 says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. 
before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, I want you to notice in the Greek, it's interesting where it says in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The language there is a word. It doesn't just, our English is kind of shallow. It just says he looked at Peter. There's something more loaded in the language there that was a genuine look of concern. It wasn't a look of, I told you so. It was a look of, okay, what's he going to do now? Peter, what's going to happen to you after you realize that what I told you was true? The third pattern that often happens to us that happened in this text, in the text that we're going over, is disappointment. We see in this passage how Peter would have been faced with his own disappointment in himself. And disappointment often leads to our, our disappointment in ourself leads to insecurity. And we think it leads to disqualification. But all of those things are the, are the mechanisms that we do to ourselves. That is what we do to ourselves. And, and even in this passage that Jesus is saying, this is what the cross was for. Again, Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. You're going to make false assumptions. You're going to get tired. You're going to be disappointed in yourself. And you need to understand in this moment that the cross was for you. We have to capture this. Jesus was trying to communicate this to Peter. Just like he's trying to communicate it to all of us here today. He did this two times. He went through two efforts to communicate to Peter that, Peter, you're going to make assumptions. Peter, you're going to grow weary. Peter, you're going to fail me. And you need to understand I'm still not through with you yet. Go back to, go to verse uh, Luke 32, 31 through 34. I'll have these verses for you on the screen. Here's the first, this is Luke 32, 31 through 34, should be in there. Luke 32, no, 22, sorry, there's no Luke 32. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers, next verse. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to the prison and to death. And here's what Jesus says to that. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And, you know, if that was me, I'm like, that's right, man. You're one of my boys. I want you with me everywhere I go. Here's what Jesus says to Peter. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. He tells him then, Peter, you're going to fail me, but it's still going to be okay. You don't believe me? He told him again in the book of John. He comes in the book of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 18. Here's go back to verse 15 there. Here's what he says in John 21, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my lambs. Next verse, 21, 16, he says, And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. And then he says the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter is now hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me, he said. 
Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my sheep. And then verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. I want to tell you, church, failure and disappointment will never disqualify you. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to wish you were at a certain point that this, I'm this old now, I should have done this by now. Or, or I should have said this, I should have done something different with my kids, or I should have done something different with my grandkids, or I should have done this better in my relationships. And we do this thing to ourselves where we think this disqualifies us from having a relationship with God. God can't use us because of this. What you don't understand is that is exactly what the cross of Christ was for. It's for all of your inadequacies. It's for all of your disappointments. It's for all of your false assumptions. It's for all the stupid things you did just because you were tired. Jesus reminds Peter time and time again, Peter, you're going to fail me and it's going to be okay. It's not going to be whether I'm going to be there for you. It's whether you're going to keep pursuing me in the moments of your failure. Hmm. You are an imperfect human being that will always be capable of false assumptions, weariness, and disappointments. But so here is the challenge today. Just before the cross, there was assumption, weariness, and disappointment. And many people... Those things keep them away from understanding what it was Jesus did for them. But what I want you to hear is that these things, as it was in Peter's life, as it was throughout the scripture, these were rather are called to be invitations in your life. I'm growing tired. I've, I'm disappointed in myself. I'm disappointed with others. I want you to hear loud and clear when you experience these things in your life. Those are the invitation to come back to the cross. It's an invitation that the cross was for you. Gazing upon the cross is beautiful and dark at the same time. You can look at your mistakes in life and be reminded of who you are and who it was you're living for. I paid the price for your mistakes. I prayed. For, I knew you were going to make some mistakes. I already, I already anticipated that. That's why I went to the cross for you. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through his blood. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love throw mingled down. Did air such love, we have to come in contact with the love of God. And sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. Where the whole realm of nature mines, so that we're an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. This is your reminder of who you are. This is your reminder that the expectations you place on yourself, you were never created to fulfill that yoke. Jesus has a different yoke for you that he, that he took to Calvary. Just before the cross, these patterns will happen in your life. 
but I pray that you wouldn't see them as that which keeps you from him, but rather an invitation to draw near to the living God. Let's pray. Lord, today we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you are a living God. That even as we read scripture, we saw what transpired just before the cross. We're reminded that we are right in the middle of that story. We are right in the middle of those moments today as we walk this earth. We all make false assumptions. We all grow weary at times and do things we wish we wouldn't. And then we come to the hardest hurdle to get over is our own disappointment. Our disappointment with ourselves and maybe in some cases our disappointment with others. But Lord, the cross is there to remind us of the grace that you have extended to us. I offer you salvation for today. But Lord, may we choose to receive it. So that all across this room, I pray that hearts would be soft to hear your voice this morning. There's some here, I believe, that have, feel as if that they've, they have a standard that they're supposed to be to be someone who's religious or to be someone who others feel is a Christ follower. It's time they throw that standard out the window and in this moment, come into relationship with the living God. The Lord desires that relationship with you. He desires your attention. He went to the cross for every mistake, every failure, for any shame you would ever place on yourself. He has said, it's time to be free. So may we receive your salvation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.